as we get ready to start, Lord, we just pray. Lord, I pray for myself personally. Lord, would you give me the words to speak tonight that your voice would be heard. Lord, I, I don't take lightly to be an instrument of, of your voice. And I know you could speak directly to the hearts of every person in this room and somehow in your plan and in your kindness you've let me be a mouthpiece for you in this season. And so I pray, would you empower my voice? Let it be the words of life that can only come from you. As we think about this passage before us tonight, God, would you give me the wisdom and the insight and the character to expound it in a way that honors you and brings people closer to you and lets them know both who you and who they are in ever deeper ways. And Lord, I pray for us tonight as we think about who you are, that we would understand a fresh revelation of your character, of the type of God you are. In a world full of gods to choose from, full of things to set our eyes on, things that we can turn our attention to, to displace you from your rightful throne. Lord, we pray tonight that we'd recognize the wonder, the beauty, the faithfulness, like Aaron prayed in each song, the faithfulness of God, the beauty of God, and the wonder of God. May we be struck by that again tonight as we see your hand upon the life of Jacob. A man in which many of us can see ourselves and relate to in a foreign land far from his family, being taken advantage of, being taken taken for a ride, reaping what he's sowed. <laughs> and yet somehow in the midst of it all, Lord, your hand is upon Jacob in a way that is inexplicable. It's, it's powerful. It's something that even those around him cannot deny is there. That your blessing and your peace and your prosperity rest upon him. Lord, I pray, pray we would see ourselves tonight in the story of Jacob and be changed by it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, as we continue on now with Jacob, we're kind of drawing close to the end of, of the Jacob uh, set of stories. This, these stories focused on Jacob's life. And of course, uh, in some ways, this is a big climax for, for Jacob as he's dealt with this uncle <laughs> that we've seen. Now, remember last week, we stopped at the place where Jacob has now worked 14 years Seven for a wife he did not want, and now seven for a wife that he was promised and did not receive, <laughs> and now has worked another seven years for. And of course, we know that last week we read about what kind of hell that family was living through in those seven years. 
the drama of family, the pain of sisterhood, the pain of, of bigamy, of you know, having these multiple wives and, and children competing with one another and, and, and sisters at each other's throats because they just want, well, really they just want what the other has. Rachel wants children like Leah has and Leah wants affection like Rachel has. And so we're coming to the end. Tonight is a long passage. We're going through, uh, we're starting in, in chapter 30, verse 25, and going all the way through to the end of chapter 31, 31, verse 55. Because we're going to end this section with Laban tonight. So it's a long passage. Um, but I think it's important to view it together. Because it shows what's happening to Jacob. I've said this before, but I think Jacob gets a bad rap. Many people don't like him. They don't like the deceiver in him. Um, and, and I would argue that the reason most people don't like him is because they don't understand the change that's happening in him. My hope is that by the end of this, you'll see this week and next week that Jacob is a changed man. That God is at work. The transformation's not real. You know, if it's not there, like... I think we know from our own lives, like that's the evidence, right? That's the evidence of God, the fruit, right? We always talk about the fruit. What's the evidence that God's at work in a person's life? Well, it's the fruit. Well, Jacob bears fruit. Tonight, I named uh, this sermon, Facing Yourself. Facing Yourself. And maybe that won't make sense as we go through this passage. But by the end of it, I hope I can explain why I've named it that. And I hope you'll be able to see uh, what Jacob is experiencing here in this passage. So, Genesis 30, starting in verse 25. Now remember, what just happened is that Rachel finally, finally, it says, God remembered Rachel. And she bore a son. And his name was Yosef. Joseph. He added Right? That the Lord has added, may he add another son to me. That's what Rachel says. And so now we're here with Rachel bearing this son. And it's interesting because Rachel bearing her child sparks something in Jacob. Now it came about when Rachel had born Joseph that Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own place and to my own country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you and let me depart. For you yourself know my service, which I have rendered you. See, it's Rachel, his, his favored wife, his chosen wife, having a son that actually makes Jacob realize it's time to go home. The promises are getting answered. I'm having children, my wife that I love is born a son. The descendants are being fulfilled. But what am I missing? What am I missing? The land. Jacob knows he's been a blessing to Laban. In fact, he's going to say so, isn't he? Even Laban recognizes it. Laban said to Jacob, If now it pleases you, stay with me, Jacob. For I have divined that the Lord has blessed me on your account. See, Jacob's fulfilling blessing to the nations. He 
He's fulfilling descendants, but he knows he's missing something. And it's the land. The land that God promised him. The land to which he said to the Lord, if you protect me and bring me back in safety to this land, you will be my God. Jacob's ready to leave. But Laban says, no, 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 don't leave, stay with me. (laughs) I can see, I, I can see it. The Lord is blessing me because you're at work for me. Now, we have to understand two things to make sense of the story, right? And it's going to be important to make sense of what goes on in these next parts of this chapter and the next chapter, which is this. Jacob is related to Laban, right? He's his nephew. He's not only his nephew, he's now his son-in-law, right? So there is a familial relation. There's no doubt that Jacob is family. But... He also functions because he was destitute when he came, because he had nothing to his name. He functions like a servant, like a slave to Laban. And you'll notice as this goes on that that's part of the dynamic. That's part of the dynamic between Jacob and Laban is that Laban has all the power. In terms of human relationship. He has two things that Jacob doesn't have. One, he is the master. Jacob is the slave. Two, he is the father of the relationship. And Jacob is the son. Now, that may not make sense to our culture where we're openly and and sometimes uh, happily rebellious. (laughs) But this culture is not one where you cast off a father's rule lightly. To be head of household, to be head of the family, is significant and is usually only transferred upon death. The patriarch is the patriarch, and the family all is submissive to him. So if you look at the relationship, Jacob should be submissive to Laban in terms of their cultural understanding, right? how the culture would understand it. Okay, Laban's admitted now, though. The Lord is with Jacob. He's blessed me on your account, Jacob. So Laban continued, Name me your wages, and I will give it to you. But Jacob said to Laban, You yourself know how I have served you, and how your cattle have fared with me. For you had little before I came, and it has increased to a multitude, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now, When shall I provide for my own household also? Right? All that he's done in 14 years has been to whose benefit? Laban's. It's been to Laban's benefit. All the increase, all the productivity, all the the flourishing of the herds and the flocks, that's all gone to Laban. Jacob's work, Laban receives the proceeds, receives the benefits of it. And now Jacob's saying, shouldn't I have a way to to make something for my household? I've worked for you these 14 years. Can I have a wage now for what I'm doing to make make a, a, a comfortable life for my family, right? So Jacob, uh, excuse me. So Laban said, what shall I give you? And Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. 
If you will do this one thing for me, I will again pasture and keep your flock. Let me pass through your entire flock today, removing from there every speckled and spotted sheep and every black one among the lambs and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and such shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later. When you come concerning my wages, every one that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and every one black among the lambs, if it is found with me, will be considered stolen. Laban said, good, let it be according to your word. Now, to understand what's about to happen, you have to understand what's going on with the goats and the sheep. Goats in this scenario, as we're going to read on, they're typically black, all black. And the sheep are, of course, if you know a sheep, they're all white. They're pure white. The goats are pure black. And what Jacob is saying, if any of them are multicolored, if any of them have a spot or a speckle or whatever, that will be my wages. Now, of course, just, you know, if we think about breeding, we think a little bit about husbandry and and animal mating, stock breeding. If you have, you know, a white lamb and a white lamb and they're mating, you're most likely going to have a white lamb. If you have a black goat and a black goat and they're mating, you're going to have a black goat. It's pretty rare that there's a mutation or something. You get a speckle, a spot, some kind of coloration, a stripe, whatever it might be. So Jacob says, all those off ones, all the ones that are not normal, they'll be my wages. I'll take those ones. They can be mine. Laban says, that sounds good to me. That sounds good to me. Now, this is the first time as I studied this passage this week that I finally understood what's going on and the craftiness of it. Because Laban is not done deceiving Jacob. See, what's going on is we're learning that what Jacob thought he himself was, what, what we, at least what we thought he was, we thought he was this master deceiver. We saw it in the birthright. We saw it in the blessing. We saw all these things. Laban's got him dead to rights. He's better than him at deceiving. He is, if Jacob is the, the deceiver, Laban is the arch deceiver. <laughs> He's better at it. So what does Laban do? And this passage finally made sense in light of that. Now, one thing when you're reading literature, one of the things that is helpful in reading the Bible is to know what pronouns are referring to. Jacob just said, I'm going to go through the flock and take out all the spotted and speckled ones. Remember, that's what Jacob said he was going to do. And you get to the next verse, verse 35. So he removed on that day the striped and spotted male goats and all the speckled and spotted female goats. Who is the he this pronoun is referring to? It's actually Laban. And we know because we'll get to the rest of this section. But it is not Jacob going through and pulling out the spotted and speckled. It is Laban going through and pulling out the spotted and speckled. He, Laban, removed on that day the striped and spotted male goats and all the speckled and spotted female goats, every one with white in it, and all the black ones among the sheep. And he gave them into the care of his sons. How old would Jacob's sons be if he was giving them flocks? Well, Reuben, at the oldest, would be seven. How do we know? 
that this is Laban. Well, one, like I said, the sons. Read the next sentence as well. And he put a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob. And Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flocks. This is all Laban's action. Now, what did Jacob just say? He just said all the spotted and speckled would be his wages. So what does Laban do? He takes all the spotted, all the speckled, all of those, and gives them to his sons. And he puts a three days journey between that and the pure flocks that Jacob watches over. So what are Jacob's flocks? They're pure white lambs and pure black goats. Which means they should be producing pure black goats and pure white lambs. So what is Jacob going to receive for his wage? Nothing. Zero. See, Laban's all too content to receive the benefit of the blessing of the Lord and not return any of it to Jacob for what he's done. So Laban goes through. He makes sure that there will not be any chance that one of his speckled or spotted could accidentally happen to mate with one of the purebreds and leave Jacob something. That's why he removes them all. What was going to be Jacob's wage, now there's just no chance of it existing, at least in human terms. right? The, the idea that these are going to have speckled or spotted lambs or, or goats, kids, uh, is just unlikely. It would be very rare. So what's Jacob going to get, a lamb here, a goat there? I mean, he's not going to have flocks. He's not going to have herds. Laban's deceived him again. Because the wage that he promised him, he's making sure he can't receive. By putting the flocks of the multicolored into his son's hands and making sure the ones Jacob takes care of, oh, they're the purebred ones. No chance they're going to have spotted or speckled or striped. So again, Jacob is deceived. But listen to this strange story. Then Jacob took fresh rods of poplar and almond and plane trees, and he peeled white stripes in them, exposing the white which was in the rods. He set the rods which he had peeled in front of the flocks in the gutters, even in the watering troughs, where the flocks came to drink, and they mated when they came to drink. So the flocks that mated by the rods and the flock the so the flocks mated by the rods. And the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. And then Jacob separated the lambs and made the flocks face toward the striped and all the black in the flock of Laban. And he put his own herds apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. So now, somehow, through this, this tactic he has, which by the way, just so you know, no one understands what this is. This is not some old husbandry trick that has been passed down through the generations. No one knows what's going on here. I think I have an explanation for it later on in chapter 31. 
I think Jacob actually explains it. But this is not some thing where they're going to drink water that's been infused with the white and then somehow that magically makes them speckled. That's not what's going on. But Jacob is doing something. He, he has a plan, whatever it is. No one knows what it is, but he, he's got a plan. He's doing it intentionally. We know that. But so somehow these purebreds, the black and black goats and the white and white sheep, are producing speckled and spotted and, and striped. So when they produce, he's moving them to his own herd because they're now his wage and then leaving the, the pure ones separate. Okay, this tactic though, this tactic does make sense if you know anything about breeding, you know anything about genetics. Moreover, whenever the stronger of the flock were mating, Jacob would place the rods in the side of the flock in the gutters so that they might mate by the rods. But when the flock was feeble, when it was weak, he did not put those one in. So the feebler, the weaker ones, were Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. So the man, that's Jacob, became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks and female and male servants and camels and donkeys. Okay, so when they were strong sheep, when they were good ones, when they were healthy, which he would know because he's a shepherd. He watches them all day. That's when he'd do the rod trick. And then he'd get the ones that were healthy and strong and, and you know, vibrant, beautiful, energetic. And then when they were weak and feeble and old and nasty and decrepit, yeah, he left, he'd leave the rods out. Those ones can be Laban's, which makes sense. We can understand that. We don't understand the rod thing, but stronger when, when you have two stronger animals breed and they mate, you're going to have a stronger offspring. I mean, that's been, think about horse racing. I mean, how long has that been a part of, you know, the reality? Oh, they have good stock, right? They have a good breeding history. They come from champions, right? J Jacob's just applying that reality. When they're strong, I'll take them and then I'll give Laban the weak ones. But we don't know what's going on with the rods. Like, this doesn't make sense. But we do know this. He became exceedingly prosperous. He had large flocks. Somehow this is going on. He keeps getting more and more striped and spotted and speckled. And, and it's working out well for him. And who does he sound like now? He sounds like his granddad. He's prosperous, large flocks, female and male servants, camels and donkeys. He sounds like Abraham. He's getting rich. But Jacob heard the words, this is chapter 31 now, Jacob heard the words of Laban's sons, saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's, and from what belonged to our father, he has made all his wealth. Jacob saw the attitude of Laban, and behold, it was not friendly toward him as it was formerly. So, not all is well in paradise, it seems. Laban is angry, I'm sure. Why? Well, his scheme has not worked. He was sure it would work, and it hasn't. And Jacob is getting wealthy. And when he sees that the disposition of Laban has changed, he also receives a message, a message from the Lord. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. Now, Jacob realizes both on his own choice, he wants to go home, like he said at the beginning, 
And now the Lord has also told him to go. He knows it's time to go. But there's been family strife this whole time. So what's he need to do? Well, he needs to convince Rachel and Leah. He's worried about whether Rachel and Leah will be loyal to him or to their father. Now, think back to what I said. The father is the head of household. He, he's the patriarch. The whole family is submissive to him. Jacob is in real worry here that the, his wives are not going to agree with leaving. So he's got to convince them. So here's what he says. Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to his flock in the field. And he said to them, I see your father's attitude that it is not friendly toward me as formerly, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. However, God did not allow him to hurt me. If he spoke thus, the speckled shall be your wages. Then all the flock brought forth speckled. And if he spoke thus, the striped shall be your wages. Then all the flock brought forth striped. Thus God has taken away your father's livestock and given them to me. Okay, now he's going to say something. He's going re- to reveal that he's had a vision from the Lord. He said, and it came about at the time when the flock were mating that I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream. And behold, the male goats which were mating, which were mounting up, were striped, speckled, and mottled. Then the angel of the Lord said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. He said, lift up now your eyes and see that all the male goats which are mating are striped, speckled, and mottled. For I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. See, the poplars, all of that stuff, what I think Jacob is saying here, it's not magic and it's not some old trick we just have lost to history. It's that the Lord gave him a vision of what to do to bring forth the stripe, the speckled, and the spotted. In his vision, he sees mating animals, and the ones that are mating are striped, spotted, and speckled. Now, that's not true in reality. All Jacob has is the pure ones. But in the vision, they're striped, spotted, and speckled. The point is that it's not that Jacob has some secret technique and he's so genius and he's just got it figured out and he deceived Laban. Like Laban thought he had one over on him, but Jacob, he's a better deceiver. No, Laban's a better deceiver. What's the point of the vision? God is bringing forth stripes spotted and speckled. Why? Because I've seen all that Laban has been doing to you. This is not Jacob's ingenuity. It's God's favor. My guess is the broads and the poplars and stripping them back and all that, maybe maybe that's part of what the Lord told him to do. Well, whatever the case, this is not a human endeavor that is just working out because Jacob's so smart. This is the protection of the Lord. 
This is the blessing of God on Jacob. That's the point of the vision. He sees them mating as if they were speckled, spotted, and striped because the Lord is operating to bring those forth for him because he sees his oppression. So, and then God says this in the vision, I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar, where you made a vow to me. Now arise, leave this land, and return to the land of your birth. Okay. So, now remember where we were. This is Jacob relating all this to his wives. He's told his wives the vision he had. He told what's going on. He's told how his, their father has, he really, he's, he's taken advantage of me. So Rachel and Leah respond. Rachel and Leah said to him, do we still have any portion or inheritance in our father's house? Are we not reckoned by him as foreigners? For he has sold us and also entirely consumed our purchase price. Surely all the wealth which God has taken away from our father belongs to us and our children. Now then, do whatever God has said to you. So Jacob arose and put his children and his wives upon camels. And he drove away all his livestock and all his property which he had gathered. His acquired livestock which he had gathered in Paddan Aram to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. So the Lord has made him prosperous, has made him successful, tells him to return to the land, and now Jacob's going to do it. He's going to follow through. What's concerning for Jacob, though, is that Laban, again, has all the power. He has all the power both in terms of wealth. He's wealthier than Jacob. He's bigger. He has more people. Remember, Jacob, all he has, all he has in this world, in this place, is his two wives and his kids who are all seven and under. This is not an army. You know, he has servants, he has like that, but this is not a man with a fighting force. This is not a man who's established in the area. This is not a man who has a a big power structure behind him. And relationally, he's powerless against Laban. So he runs. He runs. When Laban had gone to shear his flock... Then Rachel stole the household idols that were her father's. And Jacob deceived Laban the Aramean by not telling him that he was fleeing. So Jacob fled with all that he had, and he arose and crossed the Euphrates River and set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. Okay, what's the deception here? Well, the deception is that he goes without saying anything, right? The idea is that he's running. He could have gone to his, his father-in-law openly and said, hey, I want to go. But he just drives off. And, and it's strategic, there's no doubt. Because when does he do it? When Laban had gone to shear his flock. What's the busiest time for shepherds? It's shearing the flock. Getting all the wool, shaving them down, doing all that work. And everyone's at work from morning till, till nighttime. They work all day. They have to shear all the flocks. So strategically, Jacob knows this is the time to flee. And also, what's, what else is in Jacob's favor? Laban's deception. Because once he pulled all the striped and spotted and speckled, what did he do? He put a three days journey between them and the rest of the flock. So Jacob's got, at minimum, a three-day head start by running. 
But when it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, Laban took his kinsmen with him and he pursued him a distance of seven days' journey. And he overtook him in the hill country of Gilead. But God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream of the night and said to him, Be careful that you do not speak to Jacob either good or bad. So Laban caught up with Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban with his kinsmen camped in the hill country of Gilead. So they have camps here. They're, they're about to face each other. They're about to see one another. Laban, this, this interaction is interesting because it talks about their power dynamics, but it also ends in the place that is not what we expect for Laban being the father and Jacob being the son, for Laban being the master and Jacob being the slave. Then Laban said to Jacob, What have you done by deceiving me and carrying away my daughters like captives of the sword? Why did you flee secretly and deceive me and did not tell me so that I might have sent you away with joy and with songs, with timbrel and with lyre, and did not allow me to kiss my sons and my daughters? All right, come on, Laban, give me a break. Yes, you seem like the type to make a big celebration. Now you have done foolishly. It is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night saying, be careful not to speak either good or bad to Jacob. Now you have indeed gone away because you longed greatly for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? So his complaints, he's deceived because Jacob left, he ran, but even worse than that, You've stolen from me. You've stolen from me. And of course, Jacob's ignorant of that, isn't he? We know Rachel stole the household idols. Jacob does not. And we know Jacob does not because of what he's going to say next. He, I don't think he'd risk it if he knew. But what's going on, Laban is, feels deceived. He comes to him and he even says, I could harm you. I could, I could do violence to you. But what has been the promise of God since the very beginning of Jacob crossing the Jordan and leaving the land of Canaan? I will be with you. I will protect you. And when Jacob made his vow, if you will be with me, if you will protect me, you will be my God. So God intervenes. He tells Laban, don't say anything. Under what? Well, like, what does that mean? Well, Laban should understand that what the Lord means is that punishment will come if you, if you disobey. If you're foolish enough to disobey what I'm telling you, that something bad will happen. This is not just a, a, you know, a request from God. This is a command. This is a you know, fallen line here, Laban. You're not the powerful one that you think you are in, in terms of my presence. Because I am with Jacob. So Jacob replied to Laban, Because I was afraid, for I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force. The one with whom you find your gods shall not live. In the presence of our kinsmen, point out what is yours among my belongings and take it for yourself. For Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. 
So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two maids, but he did not find them. Then he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken the household idols and put them in the camel's saddle, and she sat on them. And Laban felt through all the tent, but did not find them. Okay, what's interesting is that this is telling us that Rachel is just like Jacob. She's a female version of Jacob. This whole account that we just read about Rachel is meant to recall what happened between Jacob and Isaac. When Laban felt through the tent, he groped through the tent, right? That idea, it's the same language that shows up when Isaac, the blind father, is groping about to feel Jacob. He's trying to feel if it's his son Esau or if it's Jacob. And remember, he feels he feels the hairy arms. This is meant to show you that Rachel and Jacob are alike. Not only that, what did what what is the basis of those two stories? It's a it's a stealing and a deception. She's stolen the household idols, the symbol of blessing and protection. What did Jacob steal? The blessing from Esau. Rachel is just like her husband. They're meant for one another, you could say. Okay. She said to her father, Let not my Lord be angry that I cannot rise before you, for the manner of women is upon me. So he searched, but did not find the household idols. There's a slight dig here at these idols, isn't there? Because the idea is that they've become as useful as sanitary napkins, right? They're pads. That's the worthfulness of these idols. They, they're not good for anything but menstruating. Of course, unlike the God of Jacob, who's the one who protects and who walks with. So Jacob became angry now, and he contended with Laban. And Jacob said to Laban, What is my transgression? What is my sin that you have so hotly pursued me? Though you have felt through all my goods, what have you found of all of your household goods? Set it here between, set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen that they may decide between us two. They may make a judgment between us. These 20, Jacob's not done yet. <laughs> now it's all coming up. These 20 years I have been with you. So seven for Leah, seven for Rachel, six years with the flocks, 20 years. These 20 years I have been with you, your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried, nor have I eaten the rams of your flocks. That which was torn of beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss myself. You required it of my hand, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. Thus I was. By day the heat consumed me, and the frost by night, and my sleep fled from my eyes. These 20 years I have been in your house. I've served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flock. And you changed my wages 10 times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been for me, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God has seen my affliction and the toil of my hands, so he rendered judgment last night what's Jacob saying 
He's saying that the Lord, by speaking to Laban and telling him, do not speak to Jacob, good or bad, that the Lord has rendered favor in Jacob. He's rendered a favorable verdict for Jacob. If you put the case of Jacob and Laban before God, and he's going to judge, okay, which one's in the right and which one's in the wrong, what Jacob is saying is, when he spoke to you last night, he told you the verdict, that he's for me and against you, that he's seen how you've treated me. He's seen what you've done to me. He's seen all these things that I just listed off to you. The Lord has seen them. And he rendered judgment in my favor. So Laban, what's Laban's response? It seems like Laban doesn't quite get it because his response is this. Then Laban replied to Jacob, the daughters are my daughters, The children are my children, and the flocks are my flocks, and all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day to these my daughters, or to their children whom they have born? Now see, when he starts, he's making a point, and it's a point that's valid. We talked about him as head of household. He's right. Culturally, he is right. All those things are his. They're his daughters, his children, his flocks. It's all his. He's head of household. But, despite claiming that, we know Laban's been affected. We know that the Lord's vision, the vision of what he said, and probably what Jacob just said, it affected Laban. How do we know? The next verse, so now come, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. This is a covenant between equals. See, if if Laban was not convinced of Jacob's argument, he would just force him to return with him. He would force his hand. He would make sure what happened was his will. But instead, he wants to make peace. He wants to make a covenant. Because he sees Jacob's claims and he sees their validity. And probably has been intimidated by the vision he had in the night. So he wants to part as equals. So Jacob took a stone and he set it up as a pillar. Jacob said to his kinsmen, gather stones. So they took stones and made a heap. And they ate there by the heap. Now Laban called it Yagar Sahadutha, but Jacob called it Galid. Yagar Sahadutha means the heap of testimony. Galid is similar, it's the witness, the stone of witness. Right? Laban said, This heap is a witness between you and me this day. Therefore it was named Galid and Mizpah, for he said, May the Lord watch between you and me. When we are absent one from the other. Mizpah means the watchtower. The point is that this pillar, this stone, this heap is going to be the sign that they're not going to do evil to one another. That they're not going to you know, harm one another. It's, the, it's, a, it's a border marker. We're going to do good to each other if we ever come across this line, right? 
So if you mistreat my daughters or if you take wives besides my daughters, although no man is with us, see God is witness between you and me. Laban said to Jacob, behold this heap and behold the pillar which I have set between you and me. This heap is a witness and the pillar is a witness that I will not pass by this heap to you for harm. And you will not pass by this heap and this pillar to me for harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. And then Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain and called his kinsmen to the meal. And they ate the meal and spent the night on the mountain. Early in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his sons and his daughters and blessed them. And then Laban departed and returned to his place. Now, you have to see the protection of God in that account. Because this is not the way you'd expect it to turn out. Laban pursued him for ten days. Why? Well, to drag him back. And he had the right to, culturally. It's God's hand that it worked out the way it did. That this panned out the way it did is because God was at work protecting Jacob, just like he swore that he would. And just like Jacob vowed, if you do this, you will be my God. God's doing it. But what does this say about Jacob? What are we learning about Jacob from this? What are we learning about ourselves? Well, that's why I named the the sermon Facing Yourself. We read this and we're kind of unaffected by the fact that, you know, it still says things like Jacob deceived Laban by fleeing. It's not the same deception we're thinking of when we think of the stealing of the blessing. It's that he didn't act culturally appropriate. He didn't you know, ask for his permission to leave. It's not the same thing. And we don't see sometimes, because like we said about the white stripes and that piece in the, in the sheep, in the sheep's water troughs. We see that and we think, oh, Jacob's, Jacob's got a little sleight of hand working for him and he's, he's figured out a trick and he's using that trick and he's tricking Laban and Laban thinks he's, so much smarter than Jacob, but Jacob's got a one-up on him. He's, you know, we think of it like an American movie. Like, you know, like, oh, look at these two guys going back and forth, one-upping one another. Like, that's not it. The point of the account is to show that God is the one working for Jacob. And so when I name this sermon Facing Yourself, what's, what's the point of that? The point of that is this, when Jacob comes to Laban, and as we've seen through these last weeks, we saw what Laban did. We saw what Laban treated Jacob like. And of course, interestingly enough, the one deception that is not mentioned, Jacob keeps mentioning, you've changed my wages 10 times. You, you work, made me work for you for 20 years. What's the one deception that Laban did that Jacob doesn't mention? Yeah, he doesn't mention putting Leah in my bed. He's trying to preserve the peace on that one a little bit, I think, right? He doesn't bring that one up. But if you look at the nature of the relationship of Jacob and Laban, it is completely based on Laban taking advantage of Jacob. 
And so when we get to this account, we read the sheeps, and he's got these weird techniques and all this stuff. It's like, ha-ha, Jacob's finally got one on him. Woo! No. No. Jacob being faced with Laban is Jacob being faced with himself. Because in Laban, he sees who he was. Remember, we talked about the reaping what you sow and how some of these situations were Jacob reaping what he sowed, which is true. He was. But to what end? Just to demoralize him? To crush him? To do evil to him? Well, part of it's just the reality of life, right? It is true. That's a true principle. You do reap what you sow. But God had an intention. He had a purpose. And when Jacob was faced with himself, when he was faced with the type of man he was, when he was faced with who he could be 50 years from now, that he'd look just like Laban, is Jacob's response to deceive in return, to take over what Laban had, and I got my tricks, and I took my poplar, and ha ha ha, I stole your speckled sheep. No. No. He lets God be at work. And he continues to bless Laban. He still takes care of his flocks. He doesn't do evil to him. He doesn't ruin the flocks. He doesn't, he doesn't kill them and make Laban bear the weight. He says himself in his speech, I bore the loss anytime you lost a sheep. I took care of it. Anytime there was something that was lost, I was the one who paid the price so you wouldn't have to. The point is, when Jacob was faced with the type of man he was, he realized that that's not who he wanted to be. That because God, the God of his fathers, was with him, that he did not have to be that person. And you say, well, that sounds like a nice self-help lesson you just pulled out of this random sheep passage, Jeremy. Well, what's the proof of it, Jeremy? What's the proof that that is the change in Jacob? Why? Because we're going to see what happens with Esau next week. If you believe that Jacob is the same man that he was prior to this encounter with Laban, how could he and Esau possibly have what they're going to have next week? Esau and Jacob, reconciliation is, is the highlight of the whole cycle. Because what has defined them from the very beginning? It's war. Two nations at war with one another in the womb already. But what got Jacob to the point that he could have that with Esau? It's what he saw in Laban. The text never says this. I recognize that. I openly admit, Scripture does not explicitly say this. But when Esau and Jacob have the moment that they're going to have in the next, in the next passage we read, it does not surprise me for a second that it happens because when these moments are going on, 
And Laban is changing his wages over and over and over. And Laban's pulling all the striped and spotted and speckled. So Jacob has no chance of receiving a wage. And there's no way that's going to happen. And it's only that if God works that Jacob's going to receive anything at all. I think, I think that Jacob remembers what he did to Esau. Jacob remembers his brother's weeping. I think he remembers what it was like to hatch a scheme and destroy his brother. And when he sees Laban's, when he sees the delight in Laban's eye when a scheme comes together, when he sees what Laban responds like to him, how he takes advantage of him at every turn, Jacob's crushed because he recognizes the type of man he was. See, the true conflict in this passage is not just Jacob and Laban, Laban taking advantage of Jacob. It's that Jacob is seeing who he was. Jacob is facing himself. And he's asking himself who he's going to be. He's asking himself, is this the type of man that I'm going to become? Am I going to become this man when I grow up? When I'm old? When I have the chance, when I, with my you know, sons-in-law, my daughters-in-law, when I have the chance to, to take advantage of them, what type of man am I going to be? Jacob is changed by the encounter. Sometimes we need that experience. I think we all need that experience. We all need the experience of maybe seeing someone who reminds us of ourselves and our own sinful patterns. Because when you face yourself, you're given the opportunity to change it. Given the opportunity to see what you might look like through someone else's eyes. Recognize maybe that's not the man or the woman you want to be. That's integral to our developments, just like it was to Jacob. To God changing who we are, is facing the people we are in ourselves. Not being afraid to come face to face with that in the mirror. Because <laughs> Laban is Jacob's mirror. His dark mirror. But even in the midst of that, I think one of the things I love about this passage is that Jacob recognizes, I think to some extent, maybe even that he, maybe he even recognizes, I'm reaping what I've sowed. I, I, maybe I deserve this in some sense, you know? But that doesn't stop Jacob from doing what is right in the interaction with Laban. I think this is such an encouraging, excuse me, I think this is such an encouraging example because one of the things we often think and we often forget is that Christianity is about just being nice. That's the, that's the goal of Christianity if you're a nice person. That's not the goal. The goal is to be like Christ. And Christ has a lot of hard conversations. 
One of the things I love about this story is that Jacob, when it comes time to confront Laban, even though culturally it's probably unacceptable, and even though he knows he's in a position of weakness, what is he assured of? He's assured of the fact that God is with him. So he confronts him. He lists every single wrong. Okay, not every single wrong because he doesn't mention Leah and, and Rachel, right? But he, he has a litany. You did this and this and this and this and this. And God is judging between you and me. He is unafraid to have the hard conversation that what you are doing to me, Laban, is not right. And the Lord has been watching. It's not just lay down and take it. Now there's a balance. I recognize that. I recognize there's a balance because Jacob has done this for 20 years. He's put up with this. But when the moment comes, when the time comes, Jacob is unafraid to do what he needs to do to have the hard conversation, to have the conflict with Laban because he knows that the Lord has been with him and he knows that Laban has wronged him. And he needs to be confronted on wronging him. And Jacob does it. And you know what? That's, that's him facing himself too. You know why? Who was Jacob before he left? Before he came into contact with Laban and served him for 20 years? The text told us explicitly what type of man he was. A quiet man of the tents. Does this sound like a quiet man of the tents? The way he just lists all these things. Does that sound like the quiet man of the tents? No. He's been changed. He is unafraid. He is bold. Why? Again, because God is with him. And his boldness reflects that God is with him. He is not the same man who set out and was stopped at Bethel with God at the top of the ladder. He's a changed man. 20 years later, 20 years later, this man has changed. He's not the same person. And when I think about our lives in light of this passage, in light of Jacob, we've got... We've got to come to the place where we can face ourselves like that. Face ourselves with the openness and honesty to look at ourselves in the mirror and see our failures. See where we're wrong. See where our character is lacking, where it's wanting. See other people who might remind us of ourselves and recognize, like, is that who I am becoming? And then be changed. Because for every supernatural work that God does in our heart, I believe, you know, I just, this is just the reality, I think, of, of the Christian walk. God, of course, he does supernatural things. He does deliverances and, and chain breaking and all these wonderful supernatural realities. But you know what we often forget is that the other end of it is hard, stinking work on our part. And a lot of times... The breakthroughs and the, the slight 
just increase that slight upwards trajectory in character building is just from freaking pushing through and working hard. And just trying to eke out being a better person. That's where Jacob's at in this passage because he's lived 20 years of this. And he's not going to walk away the same man he was before before this happened. And that's what we got to do too. Pray for the supernatural. Pray for the miracles. Pray for the breakthroughs. Also put in the work. Put in the work. To be a better man. To be a better woman. It's what we're called to. Like I said, we've got to look ourselves with full honesty, full transparency, willing to see our flaws, see our failures, see dark versions of ourselves and be like, I don't want to be that. I can be better than that. I can be different than that. And I'm going to work hard to do it. And it's then... It's then, at least in Jacob's life, I hope in our lives too, but it's then for Jacob in Jacob's life after that, after the 20 years that he gets to wrestle with God. It's not before then. The breakthrough, the the experience with God comes after the 20 years, comes after the changing, comes after seeing who he is reflected in Laban. And when he was returning home, that's when he gets to have the Lord appear and wrestle with him. God's been there present along the way, no doubt. He's given visions. He's, he's shown himself. He's, he's spoken to him. But the experience, the wrestling with, the touching and feeling and fighting, that comes after on the way home. That's my encouragement to you tonight. Be willing to face yourself. Be willing to look at the dark spots in your heart. Because if you can't approach those honestly, without denying, without avoiding, without pretending, you can't approach those spots openly, recognizing they're there. There's no chance to change them. Unless the Lord's going to do a miracle. Unless he's going to do something supernatural. There's no chance for you to change those spots. And in fact, until you start looking, you might not even know they're there. The reflection, the looking under the hood, the contemplating the person you are and who you are and how you operate. That's vital. That's vital to changing and being a better Christian. I think Jacob's a good example of that for us. Okay, I'm going to turn it over to Tyler.